The Pilgrimage of the Heart podcast is brought to you by PYO.Yoga, an online studio for all your yoga needs, including videos in Spanish and Russian. This podcast is also brought to you by Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga, located in San Diego and serving over 1,000 yogis a week. Hi, this is Sujantra. Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. So we have been studying uh, from the Ramayana. It's one of the ancient um, uh, tales of India. So there's two classic tales. Just like in Western culture, there's the Iliad and the Odyssey. In um, the Indian stories, there's the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. So what we're going to do now, we have been doing just solely the... um, Ramayana, but now what we're going to do is we're going to combine the Ramayana with the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. That's quite a mouthful, huh? (laughs) The Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And so, has anyone heard of the Yoga Sutras? It's new. Okay, what do you know about them? Oh, okay. There's a good timing. Um, I've heard, uh, I haven't studied any, like, anything from Patanjali, but I've heard that the, the yoga sutras come off in different teachings, but I've never actually dove into what they were. Okay. Yeah, okay, good. So um, the particular version I'm going to be uh, pulling from is called Raja Yoga, but what it is is it's the, it's the yoga sutras of Patanjali. So sutra means... Um, like bead or thread. And so in the ancient um, world, the Indian teachings were, were short, concise statements. And those statements were passed on verbally from student to teacher. You'd memorize them. And so the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, if you want to think of like uh, the, the, the beads on a, on a rosary or on japa, you know, when you're doing the, the beads. Um, so each... Each bead is like a thread or an aspect of the whole. And they were done around basically like maybe anywhere between 200 BCE or 200, uh, what's, what do they say now? BCE, before Common Era, or 200 uh, CE, Common Era. And so... And Patanjali was an ancient yogi, a scholar, who uh, brought all these teachings together. He kind of codified yoga. And so a lot of times now when you go to a yoga class, if, if the teacher's trying to take the class a little bit deeper, they'll, they'll probably go to the yoga sutras to offer some, um, some statements or some things you can focus on during your practice. And for example, uh, to give it some cultural relevance, in the yoga sutras it talks about there being... Um, five ethical principles that a person would live by, a yogi would live by, one of them being nonviolence, not doing harm to others. And so that principle of nonviolence, Gandhi utilized it. Well, first it was Thoreau, Henry David Thoreau, who in the um, 1850s, he had, he had got a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, ancient Indian scripture, where Krishna talks about um, the potential of nonviolence, the power of nonviolence. 
And so he utilized it by not paying his poll tax and going to prison. Gandhi read the life of Thoreau and how he had used nonviolence as a social statement. Martin Luther King, nonviolence. So these principles aren't just like um, uh, ideas. These principles are powerful tools that you can use in your meditation and in your life. So I want to start... There, it, the very beginning of the the, Bhaga, the the story, the Ramayana, is about the guy who writes it, who Mary has heard this section before, um, the writer of the Ramayana. So every great tale needs a teller. And so the story begins by us, by us meeting the person who's going to write the story that we're about to hear, the great tale of Rama. And so his name is Valmiki. And so this sets the scene for some of the learning for the Patanjali. So the story goes, as a young man, Valmiki searched through the world, seeking open friendship and happiness and hope. So that's a lot like each of us. As we go through our lives, we seek friendship, we seek happiness, we seek hope. So for Valmiki, Valmiki searched through the world seeking open friendship and happiness and hope and finding none of these. He went alone into the empty forest where no man lived to a spot near where the Tamasa River flows into the river Ganga. There he sat for years without moving, so still that white ants built an anthill over him. There Valmiki sat inside that anthill for thousands of years, with only his eyes showing out, trying to find the true his hands folded, and his mind lost in contemplation. And so there we have a journey that each of us has gone through to some extent to get to the point of coming to a meditation class. And so we're all looking for happiness, we're looking for hope. These things in life, and a lot of times our experience is that We don't always find them, or we have a friendship and then the friendship is broken, or we have hope, but then someone lies to us, or we have a dream, but it doesn't work out. And so we we look for satisfaction in, in outer things, and when they don't happen, it's discouraging, but at the same time, we have an intuitive sense that there is happiness, there is hope, there are these things, but maybe we're looking in the wrong place. And so that, I think, is one of the motivators for turning in on the spiritual journey or in the journey of meditation. So you start to look within. And so what um, this is symbolized here, you know, we all have our jobs and our lives. So you can, you, instead of uh, going to the empty forest for a thousand years, you come to meditation for 45 minutes, but it's the same principle. You step away from the world, you step away from all your responsibilities, and you come here and you say, okay, now I'm going to turn within. I've left things go for an hour. Let me take time and turn within. So 
he, he sits there for thousands of years without moving, so still that the white ant, that the ants built the anthill over him. There Valmiki sat in that anthill for thousands of years with only his eyes showing out, trying to find the true, his hands folded and his mind lost in contemplation. <clears throat> and so Valmiki ends up going very deep. He's deep in contemplation and then he gets called into a great journey. And so as, as people embarking on this, what exactly is he doing? You know, that's the question. What, what, what exactly, how do you do that? How do you lose yourself in contemplation? How do you look within to find the true? And that's the, the quest of yoga. And so that's, um, that is the setting for us to get some relevance for the yoga sutras, these threads of yoga. The yoga sutras is divided into four sections. So we're going to start with section one. And what the different writers do is Patanjali's uh, short statements are, are pretty universal, but they're in Sanskrit. So then it, you could probably find 20 different um, versions of the Yoga Sutras. The basic statements are going to be the same, but then what you have is you have the, the different writers make commentary on what that means. Okay, so it begins with, now yoga is explained. So this is a yoga studio where people come in here and practice yoga. Meditation is part of yoga. And so now Patanjali is saying, okay, welcome to um, the, the ancient forest retreat, and now I'm going to explain yoga to you. So the second statement, yoga is restraining the mind stuff from taking various forms. Yoga is restraining the mind stuff from taking various forms. What is the, what, what, what is mind stuff? What might that mean? Mind stuff. What's that? Okay, so, so ego is, is um, okay, M- mind stuff can take the form of ego. Pujari? It could be thoughts. It could be thoughts. So these things, these are, the, these are the various forms. So your thoughts are, are a form. But if we go one level deeper, restraining the mind stuff, so a lot of times we think of our mind as just like thoughts, you know, that, that our mind is, there's that thought, that's my mind, or I'm thinking about this thing. But one of the key ideas of yoga is that our mind isn't just little thoughts, our mind is a whole, a fabric that creates our reality. So the, the entire experience we're having right now is, is, is we're, we're experiencing it through the fabric of our own minds. We're all in the same room, but we're all in our own worlds. We've come from different experiences. We have, all have different memories. 
we're going different places after. So our, our mind stuff is our experience of reality. It's not just little thoughts jumping around. So yoga is restraining the mind stuff from taking various forms. And so the forms would be me, 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 just focusing on my ego. Forms could be different thoughts going through our mind. What else could the forms be? Your beliefs. Your beliefs. Your values. Your fears. Yeah, your fears, your worries, your hopes. All of these things are our mind stuff. And so yoga is restraining the mind stuff from taking various forms. And a way to think about that, because you might think, oh, well, if I restrain my mind stuff, there's nothing left in life. It's going to be completely boring and a a null void. But think of it in terms of a a lake. And so there's, there's the self, ourselves, which is looking out at reality. And if you imagine that, that reality is this beautiful lake. And when it's clear, when the lake is really clear, when it's still, if you think of like Lake Tahoe, the lakes in the Sierras, you can look in and you can see really deep. You can see the depths of the lake. And at the same time, if you shift your focus a little bit, you can see the reflection of everything around you perfectly. And so that, you could say, is seeing life as it truly is. But you start to get wind, which could be like the winds of worry or anxiety or just egocentric thoughts constantly. It creates all these waves on the lake. And now what happens is you can't see down anymore. You're just seeing all the surface waves. And the reflection of the world around is all fragmented. And so when the mind stuff is taking all these various forms, that's, what we're, that's how we're seeing life. We're seeing life through all these fluctuations. Which can be a beautiful thing. But it can also be nice to be able to still it. So this is, this is what yoga is. And... For some people, that they get that through the practice of reading spiritual writings. For them, that's yoga. For someone else, it's slowing their breath. For someone, it's coming to asana class. For someone else, it's doing meditation. So there's a lot of facets of yoga. And it's about finding what works for you. So now yoga is explained is number one. Number two, and we're just going to do the first three tonight. Number two, yoga is restraining the mind stuff from taking various forms. So we got that. Number three, at that time, that time being at the time of of yoga, the seer, and in in, um, parentheses, the Sanskrit word for the seer is the purusha. So the seer means your deepest self, like capital S. Not ego self, but capital S, or your soul, your, your, your eternal dimension. So at that time, at the time of yoga, the seer, the soul, rests in his own 
unmodified state. Unmodified. And so all the vrittis modify our sense of self. Because what the yoga philosophy teaches is that at our deepest level, when we're in that realm of the soul, of the spirit, we're pure bliss. So the, the uh, ancient teachings say that um, from delight, we have come into existence. From delight, we have come into existence. And so if we're in our true state, we're feeling the delight of existence. Not necessarily the pleasure of existence. So delight is deeper than pleasure or pain. We're feeling the delight of existence. So that's our true unmodified state. And then the, the final, at other times, other than that of true yoga, the seer is identified with the modifications. So it's pretty, it, it really breaks it down in a, in a pretty simple way. We're either, we're either in our deepest nature, we don't have a lot of, we don't have fluctuations going on and, and we're in our true nature, we're in our true state, or all these fluctuations are happening and we become identified with them. And so back to Valmiki, he's sitting there for thousands of years, because they say in those days, which they say is like 20,000 years ago, that human beings lived much, much longer. So you had time to meditate for hundreds and thousands of years, but now our lives are much shorter. So maybe what took him a thousand years, we can do in a few years. But he's in that state searching for the true, which would, t- which would mean to say he's still going through some fluctuations And he's still trying to get deeper and deeper into that true unmodified state where we're in our pure essence. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga. Join us at our studios here in San Diego or visit us online at pyo.yoga. Namaste. Namaste.